0: In an environment of health disparities, amplified by a national pandemic, racial injustice, Providence is committed to improving diversity, equity, and inclusion in our communities, workplaces, schools, and more. What happens now? How do we cope? What's the impact on our overall health and mental wellness? The culture of health will focus on what the future of healthcare looks like in today's changing culture. Together, we will discuss how we turn the conversation of culture and healthcare into lasting and meaningful action.
1: Hello, all, and welcome to our broadcast. I'm your host Kevin Connick. I'm the regional chief diversity officer at Covenant Health here in Texas. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. If you have any questions regarding medical, medical conditions or treatment plans, please consult your physician. Always always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Joining me today is Cynthia Salisbury, the Executive Director of Clinical Excellence and the Chief Quality Officer here at Covenant Health, as well as Dr. Valerie Johnson, who's a clinical psychologist here at Covenant. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. So BIPOC communities often have unique customs and traditions and ideas, things that they they are that are that they do in their families, traditions. Uh, and, and things they don't do in their families, and while some of those may be really helpful to um, to uh, uh, mental health and and uh, and just dealing with mental health, others may present challenges. I know in my own family, many times you know mental health is was has, was a taboo subject. We didn't talk about mental health at all specifically. You know uh, you know if there was this taboo, and and the big thing was you know what you give it to God, you pray for it, so that was a really big deal. So today we're going to talk about some of these things and just really explore BIPOC cultural nuances and how they relate to coping with mental wellness and, and um, as well as any behavioral health care systems, how, how behavioral health care systems can support. And so I'd like to really just start um, with, um, with asking both of you just to introduce yourselves and just tell us a little bit about what you do here at Covenant Health uh, in, in your roles here.
0: Well, I'll go ahead and start. I'm Dr. Valerie Johnson. I'm a clinical psychologist here at Covenant. Um, I provide psychological and neuropsychological testing here at Covenant. um, And I also do health and behavioral intervention um, for people struggling with um, mental health concerns, kind of around chronic illness or medical conditions, and provide support with coping around that.
1: Very good. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: We also have Cynthia Salisbury. Go ahead, Cynthia.
2: I'm Cynthia Salisbury, I'm the Chief Quality Officer supporting the Texas, New Mexico region. Um, I also serve as the Executive Director of Clinical Excellence. And so within clinical, the Clinical Excellence Division, there's several departments. Um, some of those are quality management, patient safety, risk management, infection prevention, uh, performance improvement, clinical data analytics. Um, so it's a, it's a great big team.
1: Good. Very Again, welcome to you. And thank you thank for being you. with us this, this afternoon. I'd like to start just by asking. You know, we talk about a lot of different things, but really, this whole idea of integrated behavioral health, and a lot of people may know what that that is, but some of us don't know what that is. And I'd like to just ask Valerie, what is integrated integrated behavioral health, and and why is it important to healthcare practices?
0: Yeah. So, integrative behavioral health has to do with. Um, Essentially, it's a teaming approach with healthcare professionals in which a mental health clinician, like a psychologist or a psychotherapist, will come and be part of the team and help contribute to more of a biopsychosocial approach, kind of a holistic approach of understanding the patient and their concerns. Um, This has really been really helpful, and research has shown that it's actually helped with decreasing depression, you know, for patients, you know, it's reduced costs. For the healthcare system and for patients, because patients are able to, um, it, you know, address barriers to treatment, um, and it's also improved quality of care.
1: It's oh, really great. Thank you for that definition for us. I think that's really helpful. That's this, this I guess that's hence the reason why we call it integrated, right? So this this approach, that's a team approach. Um, so let me ask you this: knowing that that cultures are different and 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 where we come from and just our environment those are all different does mental do mental health caregivers present their care in different ways um, depending on their cultural upbringing you know we have a, a doctor or a physician or a psychologist does it, does it does it does it does it come across differently uh, because of the way they're raised culturally
0: so i would say that culture is deeply connected to language and what we do with psychology and mental health um, we do what you call talk therapy or psychotherapy. And so essentially the work that we're doing with people, the healing work that we're doing is based in language, right? Which is so shaped by culture. Um, so yes, I do think that a mental health clinician's background does um, cultural background does impact the way that they present their care, you know, whether that be, um, there's a there's a concept that we talk about called the use of the person or the self of the therapist in um, therapy. And so essentially what that has to do with um, is the way that we use the things that we bring Um, ourselves into the room um, to help facilitate that healing process. And so that can mean, um, you know, if we are meeting with someone with a similar cultural background, um, you know, our background can be a point of connection for people. Um, but we have to be really careful and we're trained to be careful and aware of the fact that even with people that have similar cultural backgrounds as us, there um, there are a lot of differences, right? You know, based on our socioeconomic status or, you know, you know, a lot of other things, you know, our gender identity, you know, there's a lot of what we call intersectionality that happens, um, you know, with some of these other things that, can create differences as well. So we have to be really careful about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that answer so much. So really our identity plays a really huge role in how we do our care and and what we bring to the table as it relates to that. And we've been talking about identity and uh, intersectionality here at Covenant uh, quite a bit um, in some of the spaces that I'm in. And so really important. With that being said, Cynthia, you know we do have our own cultural identities. We do have these different beliefs and these traditions that do come to bear when it comes to our, our mental health, um, what are what are some of those things for you that are culturally unique beliefs or traditions that show up in in our mental health?
2: Yeah, so Kevin, you know, I I grew up um, in a predominantly Hispanic culture, and um, so the, and there's many positive things um, uh, around mental health in the Hispanic culture. Uh, Typically, in the Hispanic culture, we have very large families. We have close families. Um, There's a lot of affection, love, and support. And of course, that's in general. Some families don't have that. But in general, in the Hispanic culture, that's what we see. And and so all of that is great and can be very, very supportive towards mental health. There's also strong ties to religion and to faith um, as well. But there's also some negativity in there. And and the biggest one is the stigma that there is a stigma toward mental health and behavioral illness. And most often, you know, if you were to ask me, you know, how how was mental health talked about in your family? I I would say, like, it wasn't. It was ignored. Um, It was denied. It was viewed as as not real. Um, If someone did talk about it, that was viewed as a weakness particularly for men. Um, There's a very machismo type of attitude on, you know, people are expected to just get over it, toughen up, stop crying, stop acting out. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, You know, why are you acting like this? And and the expectation for males in particular was to be tough and to make others tough. And so someone who deviated from that perception of strength was viewed as less of a man and, and they were viewed as weak. Um, and and just not tough enough to just get over it. People that displayed potential symptoms of any type of mental or behavioral illness, no matter their gender, again, they're expected to straighten up to behave. Um, You would hear things like, oh, that kid just needs a good straightening out. Uh, They shouldn't be allowed to behave that way. Um, You might hear people talking about the parents and feeling sorry for them. Um, And if someone was suffering from signs of depression or signs of mental illness, a lot of times it'd be met with rolling of eyes, You know, style local, not taken seriously, not addressed as a true and dangerous issue. There's also negativity around therapy. Sure. There was never any discussion of anyone going to therapy. Uh, Kevin, as you said, the belief is that you should pray. God is your therapist and going to speak with a therapist might actually be viewed as a betrayal of the family, sharing dirty laundry, very much frowned upon. And then finally, there's the mistrust of healthcare in general. So if someone actually did seek out help but something didn't work rather than discussing that with their therapist or their physician, they would just think, you know what, this isn't working for me. I just need to toughen up. Wow.
1: That, that is, that's just phenomenal insight. Uh, Cynthia, I, I do appreciate that. and it, it, it resonates with me a great deal. When you think about uh, as, as a male growing up that, that we were told that it was soft and it was, it, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't air. That was almost like airing the family business of what was going on in the family. And so, uh, or that, Hey, you just need to toughen up. Uh, With the same question, really, um, Dr. Johnson, you know, again, we all are different in the way we grew up, but just culturally unique beliefs and traditions. I want you to kind of tell us a little bit about your perspective, uh, you know, from how you grew up and and what you experienced and what you were told about mental health, if you were told anything at all. And also from just going a little bit further on your side, maybe talk to us about how those things show up sometimes in, in as an adult, right, um, and, and what are some of the things, some some of the some of the really maybe negative impacts of not talking about mental health?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is such a great question, and thank you, Cynthia, for just being so transparent and sharing some of those um, those insights. You know. Talking about intersectionality and kind of a point of connection, I feel like I have a bit of a point of connection with um, what most of the patients that I see here in in West Texas refer to as being Hispanic, you know, um, I grew up Hispanic as well as um, one of the, I'm biracial, so I have, you know, you know, a white side and then I have a a, a kind of like an Afro-Latino or Afro-Hispanic kind of side. So um, there is that point of connection, but our experiences could have been different in different ways. Um, So I'll, I'll share a little bit about my, what would fall under that BIPOC umbrella. And just to kind of share a little bit about what that term means, what we're talking about is, you know, BIPOC stands for, it's a term, an umbrella term for black, indigenous, and people of color. And it's one that um, some people have found helpful in describing, some people don't care for it as much because they feel like it's lumping everybody together and not recognizing individual differences. But, you know, everybody has their own perspective about all the different terms that are out there and they're constantly changing. So, you know, some might identify as Hispanic or Latinx or Latina or Latino. So I just wanna touch on that a little bit too. Um, So for me, you know, um, again, similarly, mental health was not really talked about much on what I would call, I guess, my BIPOC side. Um, It wasn't something I'm here. I'm from here in Texas. Um, You mentioned, you know, I think one of you mentioned uh, a little bit about um, being tough and having to be tough. And I think that that is, you know, we live in West Texas. And that is not something that is really unique to the BIPOC community here either. You know, you've heard things like "cowboy up" or "suck it up." You know, those that's also part of our West Texas culture a little bit too. Um, And so, um, I think that um, you know, even though mental health wasn't talked about as much in my BIPOC side of my family. Um, It was also uh, care was shown in different ways. Right. So, you know, an anthropologist, my husband has a background in anthropology. So we talk about these things a lot Um, and, you know, they talk about cultural narratives and how a culture um, talks about mental illness is not necessarily right or wrong. It's just different. Right. So, for example, um, for some Hispanic communities, when someone research has shown that when someone's really anxious or overwhelmed, they might describe their stomach as hurting, right? Or having a headache, you know, and they might show up at one of the clinics, right? Cause they're feeling sick. Maybe they're, and you know, in, from a medical perspective, we sometimes talk, call this somatization or somaticizing the problem, kind of keeping it inside and it kind of manifests physically. Um, and so, um, you know, I wouldn't say this is wrong, um, but it may be a culturally accepted way of describing how one's feeling, Um, you know, and sometimes care can be shown in different ways. Like, um, you know, in my experience, you know, being Hispanic, you know, somebody might a family member might be like, oh, you're not feeling good. Let me sit down. Let me get you some food. You know, and really, that's just a way of taking a break, isn't it? And kind of sitting and getting some support from someone. Um, I love how Cynthia said there's a lot of positive ways too, That people in um, Hispanic cultures um, kind of cope, and it's just a different way. Um, another another thing, um, you know, might be materially like, oh, what can I get you? Can I? Do you need anything? Can I? Can I buy you something to like help you feel better? Or I don't know if this is if this is relate really, if you relate to this in any way, Cynthia? I see you kind of smiling a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, what can I get for you to kind of help you feel better? But these are just ways that people are trying to show care um, with language, the language that you know is part of the culture, and just kind of the way people have done things. Um, and so um, I wouldn't say that the West traditional Western way of thinking about about mental health is the only way. Um, and in my tra- in my kind of training, we learned about indigenous psychotherapies and indigenous healing and indigenous you know ways. And there are a lot of people doing a lot of work out there, you know, in you know Mexico and some in some other countries um, that are that are structuring their therapy and their psychotherapy and the way they talk about mental illness differently than we do here in the U.S. Um, and so I just want to say that just to kind of put that out there for people to kind of be thinking about. Um, But um, let's see, Um, I wanted to share a little bit about why I think that maybe it wasn't talked about as much. Um, So just to be honest, you know, as a person of color, sometimes there are enough visible things that make you feel vulnerable, right? Your skin color or just, you know, your hair is different. You know, for me, you know, your hair is a little different or, you know, only 20% of people in Lubbock um, fall under that umbrella of BIPOC okay so there are some noticeable differences sometimes in this community um so you know um acknowledging an invisible difference on top of that can sometimes feel a little bit scary um, i think and so that's why i think maybe sometimes or just an added stressor um i i you know i was thinking the same thing cynthia about how you were saying you could come across as weak or not having it all together and so um that's some of the reasons why i think in my experience, that maybe it's not talked about as much.
1: Very good. So, so a lot of a lot to unpack there. Obviously, a lot to talk about when you when you think about this this work. And there's obviously a lot of um, cultural differences, and they're they're deeply seated things uh, in our families and who we are. And again, in our our identity, there's some nuanced things for sure. But I'd like to ask Cynthia, really, when you, as you recognize that there are cultural differences, as we know that those those differences maybe sometimes run really deeply, um, how do they translate into the way you work with your caregivers in your current role as a leader? I know you you um, support as a leader many caregivers here, and your work is really important here. Also, you're involved in, in several of our DEI, or uh, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion initiatives. But how important is that, uh, understanding cultural differences and then translating that to how you lead?
2: Yeah, Kevin, uh, thank you for that. So, you know, I I talked before, I, I'm blessed with a very large team. Not only is it a large team, but it's a diverse team. And it's a diverse team who enjoys embracing and celebrating our cultural differences. Sometimes when we when we're faced with cultural differences in a group or a team, the tendency might be to just ignore them because it might feel kind of uncomfortable to discuss them. But this, thank goodness, that's not the case with my team. And it's not the case with my approach to leadership in general, Um, rather, we purposefully seek out and celebrate our cultural differences. Now, I'm not saying that that's a part of every discussion by any means. Right. But when the situation is appropriate, team members feel free to share their cultural perspectives, experiences, stories. And this helps all of us not only learn a bit about different cultures, but it also helps us to get to know each other a bit better. And it lends to our appreciation of each team member as a uniquely valuable member of the whole team and of our work family. So we're blessed with a culturally diverse team. We seek opportunities to embrace and celebrate our differences. And for example, last week, last week, we enjoyed a celebration of our diverse cultures through an Olympic themed potluck. And this was the team's idea. I just received an invitation and went and and enjoyed. And I brought a Puerto Rican dish, actually, um, as well. And you brought in a dish, and you shared a a story about the dish, an explanation of the dish. Um, And then then you shared it with your work family. And and it was absolutely delicious and a wonderful time of fellowship and, again, really getting to explore and celebrate the, the different cultures. Um, so it, it's something that we really, really enjoy. And then, you know, at an organizational level, um, Kevin and, and your team um, with the with the caregiver resource groups has just been phenomenal. Um, Kevin can speak to this a whole lot more than I can. But, you know, these are a fantastic way for caregivers to connect with others of similar backgrounds and experiences. And through the work of the CRG teams, we're able to, to offer support camaraderie to our caregivers, and this um, we allow them to share traditions, provide cultural education and insight to others, and as well, we have a fantastic mechanism to support meaningful input to leadership on how to improve our support and engagement of diversity.
1: Absolutely. It's some wonderful work. It's why I love it so much. Uh, I think there is a lot that we can do and a lot we can uh, kind of get from having our caregiver resource groups very active and engaged. And I think this this is some of the work that allows us uh, to get there. I mean, when you have a community of folks, when, when traditionally maybe in their families and how they were brought up, they didn't talk about mental health, but maybe that's one of the things we can say. Like we've heard so many times, the hashtag now is it's all right. Not, it's okay not to be okay. Uh, we've seen that specifically in sports lately with uh, Naomi Osaki and Simone Biles and, and the pressure that they have. And so absolutely, I think these groups are critical to that. Uh, Dr. Johnson, just the same question to you as you recognize kind of these cultural differences, or differences and, and um, all, that, all that we see and how important uh, cultural competency is. How does it translate into the work you do specifically, uh, maybe with your peers, maybe with the people that you see in your practice? Uh, maybe, I, I don't know that you, I don't know if you have people that report to you, but how does that, how does that show up for you?
0: So in my practice, um, I, you know, I work on a team in the neurology clinic. So I do, you know, see, um, people for, you know, evaluations and, uh, you know, I'm usually kind of doing that kind of on my own per se, um, just because that's kind of the nature of the work that's happening here. I do have students that I have from Texas Tech that um, I, I supervise and I'm training here and absolutely, you know, leaving the conversation open, inviting them and broaching the topic. This is something that has come up in, um, in mental health and has been something that I've done some continuing education and and, and you know different things of um, techniques for broaching the topic of um of culture and how that's affecting mental health and if it you know if it's relevant kind of exploring that in therapy with people or in testing with people and how that's shaped their background and what's going on with them. Um, because you know you know sometimes it has sometimes it has impacted um how you know people are feeling um There was some research that was done in a statistic that I heard recently in in a broaching continuing education course that I took um, where they were talking about how. um, So overall, 30 percent of people who come to therapy, psychotherapy, drop out early, Um, but 50 percent of minorities. So we're talking about BIPOC community or people that could fall under that umbrella, um, drop out prematurely. Of therapy, and so what they're attributing this to, or what people have um, have been attributing this to, is cultural miscommunication. And so, when you don't open up about that topic, when the therapist, you know, doesn't open the conversation to talk about these things that could be impacting people or contributing to concerns, um, people don't necessarily might not bring it up, right? Because they not they're not used to talking about it. Um, or they just, um, you know, they might not feel like you, they're being understood, or just a big piece might be missing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think bringing up, bringing it up is, is one of the, the one of the big barriers that we have, right? Because again, so many times in the BIPOC community, this has been a taboo issue, and it's been a thing you don't talk about. It's been been a thing that if if, if you said you felt like you were having some issues with mental health. Um, that people would really almost banish you or really kind of browbeat you about it. And so with that being said, my, my question is uh, really about like, what are your thoughts about how do we, how do we as a BIPOC community and others uh, that support and our allies and advocates, um, how do we begin to help people open up the conversation uh, about, um, and, and like you said, just kind of uh, breach the, the conversation about mental health when it's been so so long held in these communities that it's maybe sometimes not even a real thing how do we do that
0: yeah i think kind of what we're doing right now is is important you know being vulnerable talking about our own experiences with it modeling that um you know you mentioned simone biles earlier i think it's fantastic that she's using her platform as you know uh, what do they call her, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, you know, um, Olympian gymnast, gymnast to, um, to talk about these things and to, to let people know that it's okay. Yeah,
1: very good. Well, let me ask uh, just organizationally, I don't know um, how long, like, we didn't ask this question, how long you all have been a uh, part of Covenant, but just organizationally, um, how do we create a culture of inclusive care when it comes to, to mental health?
2: You know, um, I I heard a term recently that I hadn't heard before. It's called cultural humility. I, I'd never heard that before, and 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 cultural humility is is more than just understanding another culture, but it's really about self reflection. Um, it's really looking and trying to under like looking at your own understanding, your own feelings, and really examining that. Um, not just denying or, or repressing any thoughts or any discomfort, but rather you go through the sometimes uncomfortable but really important exercise to truly and honestly practice self-reflection in order to allow true growth. And so these types of programs in an organization are important, right, around cultural awareness and growth. But so many times we see those applied to leadership and, and that's important. But if we are truly going to achieve an overarching culture, we have to move beyond leadership. It has to be for everyone to do that, to do that, to do that self-reflection, to understand different cultures, to do the self-reflection, to truly grow. And that's how you impact a culture. And we also, we have to understand what a culture of inclusiveness of care means to our teams, right? I mean, that's who we're trying to do it for. So what does that look like? The CRGs, again, are a great way to elicit this feedback. We have to listen, though, to what is meaningful. So we don't go through the motions, but we actually use our efforts to create a true culture of, de- of inclusiveness as defined by the needs of our team members.
1: I think that's great. So many times we try to define those needs ourselves, uh, specifically in, for these communities. Uh, they've often been spoken for instead of being asked um, you know what they need and of course in this case maybe sometimes they don't know what they need so what, what about you dr johnson
0: yeah i'm so glad you mentioned that about cultural humility cynthia so and how it involves self-awareness and that involves you know being aware of your own biases and your own power and positionality regardless of the background that you come from i mean even you know those of us from the BIPOC community, those being aware of some of those things, and um, it, you know, as staff here at Covenant, um, as it relates to us, but even also as you know, clinicians, providers, you know, being aware of these things. And I think um, cultural miscommunication is something that really comes to mind for me as as something that can be an issue. I think. Um, teaching people how to talk about this demonstrating how to talk about it you know giving people language for making meaning and making sense of of um, cultural differences and how to approach people from similar and different backgrounds in a sensitive way um, I think it's helpful kind of across the care continuum you know what what from you know whether you're answering phones to whether you're hands on doing surgery here at covenant you know it's it's really important to um, have those the skills and then and you know some kind, some level of cultural competency in terms of how to communicate with people around around you know concerns related to culture and even race and ethnicity and all of it
1: yeah absolutely wonderful insights to uh, to the questions um, I'd like to just kind of just ask really about just you specifically, uh, if you could share just one way that others could connect their heritage and their mental health, um, what would that be? Because that's so important when you think about who we are, again, going back to our identity, going back to understanding culturally who you are and, and your experiences um, and connecting that to how we see mental health, how we how we kind of... Uh, view it, how, how we live into it, understanding what it is. What's is, what's that one thing you would share, um, if you could share that? Dr. Johnson.
0: Oh, for me. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so I think one of the, the um, one of the biggest resources that comes from culture is coping resources. So when you think about culture and the art that comes from culture and the poetry that can come in the dance and all of these different forms of art. And um, even, even social resources, like whether it's a church community or another community of faith, um, you know, and that social, wellness that comes from that. All of these ways are ways um, that people can cope and, and um, promote mental wellness. Um, and so I think, I think that's my one of my favorite ways and kind of the first thing that comes to mind when I think about connecting your background or heritage to, um, to mental health.
1: Thank you so much. What about you, Cynthia?
2: I, I agree with that, and I, I think that you know self-reflection is so important. And you know, as Dr. Johnson said before, just because we're members of the BIPOC community, we we need to deal with our own feelings, our own understandings, our own viewpoints, our own biases. Um, and so we really have to call those out, recognize that, and um, and then really again to speak to our communities so that we can understand how to be meaningful um, in our interventions pull out those positives and really use those use those to to help in in our interventions and in um in, in in our projects towards mental health but also recognize the negative and then talk to the communities about how best to overcome those
1: wow very good i so appreciate both of you all in this time i know it's really a relatively short time for us to have this discussion but i think such rich discussion and ideas and thoughts um, I appreciate both of you for what you brought to the table this afternoon. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff again that we, we've talked about from the idea of how we see and you know our identity and how we see healthcare and and uh, all the way through kind of how how do we connect our heritage in this kind of kind of these pathways understanding you know why we operate the way we are why we don't cope or why and then again all the way back to all the way back to the end about how how do we cope with uh our connection with our heritage uh, from our heritage all the way to uh, our mental health so that's really important so i want to thank you both uh Cynthia Salisbury and Dr. Valerie Johnson for joining us today uh and to everyone listening and um uh, and sending in your questions if I, I don't think we had any questions today but if you're looking for help with health, help with mental health uh, or other medical advice please visit providence.org and or covenanthealth.org thank you for joining us today
2: Thank you. Thanks.